Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, we're continuing on through the book of Acts. We are in chapter 10. We started in chapter 10 last week as the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is going out through all the world as according to Jesus' words to His disciples. In the first chapter, verse 8, He says that you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And, and that basic outline we've been following along now, the first seven chapters dealt with that witness that God would use in that early church from the day of Pentecost, filled with His Holy Spirit, declaring the glories of God, and the church's birth there in Jerusalem amongst Israelites, amongst the Jews. And it's kind of a funny picture and pattern we see from even the days of Noah. When they came off the ark, he had three sons with him, Shem, who is the father of the Semites, the Jews, the Israelites, those, those Oriental Middle Eastern people. And then we saw the gospel after chapters 1 through 6 go to J Jerusalem, it started moving abroad. It started getting outside the bottle, outside Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem now, Judea and Samaria. And we saw with Philip, the, the gospel go into Samaria, and then God takes him down to this deserted road on the way to Gaza, where he meets an Ethiopian returning from Israel and bringing what he had, just, as, just the Scripture, just the Word of God, the book of Isaiah. And he meets Philip and he says, can you explain this to me? And Philip jumps up in the chariot and says, yeah, this is Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And in hearing that, the eunuch says, what stops me from being baptized? There's water. And, and Philip says, you believe? Let's get her done. They jump in, they get her done. And a church is now birthed to Africa, the sons of Ham, Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and then Japheth. Japheth, the descendants of Noah, who traveled up north into the European regions, were starting to see the gospel, the door open to the Gentiles, the son of Japheth. And so we're there in chapter 10, and in this, I'm going to read Cornelius's words where we left off last week, and it'll kind of get us up to speed. I'll pick verse 30 and read on in chapter 10. So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Remember, Cornelius is a centurion, a high-ranking Roman soldier of the Italian regiment. He is a son of Japheth. He is a Gentile. 
And this man in bright clothing, this angel, tells Cornelius in verse 32, send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. We know him as the Apostle Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear the things commanded you by God. Peter, as you remember the story, was staying at Simon the Tanner's house. It was lunchtime, but the food wasn't ready yet, so he went up on the housetop to pray. And in his prayer, God gave him a vision of a sheet lowered down with all variety of animals on it. And the voice came to Peter saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter, you know, his typical Peterness, Peterness, says, not so, Lord, right? Arguing with God. I've never had anything unclean come across my lips my whole life. Because according to Jewish law, kosher law, that these animals were not for a Jew to eat. And this happened three times. And God's voice would tell Peter, do not call common that which I have made clean. And truly, the Gentiles were defiled. They were common. They were not clean to a Jew like Peter. Peter would never defile himself by going into the home of a Gentile. And yet, here he is at the home of a tanner. We talked about that last week. Tanners, by trade, they tan hides, they prepare leather, they prepare skins so they can be made into different things. But that process, according to the Old Testament, according to the Jewish law, would make you defiled for touching carcasses of dead animals. So here's Peter, and he, he moves in with Simon the Tanner. He's hanging out there waiting for lunch. He can accept this defilement of in, within Judaism, but he's not prepared to accept going and talking to the Gentiles, the goyim, right? The ones that just uh, would make you unfit to come into the presence of God. And yet, what we see here is with time, Simon the Tanner, I think it's kind of appropriate. Jesus would give us a parable, and He would teach us that we should not put new wine into old wineskins. And this is one of the things Simon the Tanner would be in the business of, is making wineskins, right? But Jesus would teach us, don't put new wine into old wineskins, or the old wineskin will burst. It rather, put new wine into new wineskins. And that, I think, is what we're seeing happen now as the angel has visited Cornelius up in Caesarea, He's also confirmed it with Peter on the housetop in Joppa, and lo and behold, he sends this entourage to come and get Simon. He's on the roof when he's praying, and they say, hey, are you Pete? And he goes, yeah, I am. You need to come to our house. Well, that's what God just told me. All this has come to pass. Peter's heart is prepared to take that which he would have considered common and give Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. In this, I think it's rather interesting that 
God would tell them you are to make no distinctions, okay? Uh, you're not to be prejudiced against this group of people. And again, that's why I kind of touched on Noah for just a moment. From Noah, we have his sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and then we go on and we get all these different nations listed in the Bible, and we look at all these different ethnic groups, nations, tribes, tongues, different languages, but essentially we, we need to understand, and this is what God is helping us understand this morning, I pray, that there is really just one race. It's the human race. We read in Genesis chapter 1, first chapter, verse 26, in the image, in our image, let's make man in our image. In the image of God, He made them, male and female, He made them. So while He made differing genders, there's only one race, and that is the human race. And this is breaking down all of these prejudices that we might have. And I, I pray that it's something that we as a church, this the Springs, Calvary Chapel, our family, that we would not be prejudiced, but we would take and give Jesus to anybody who would ask, anybody who comes in our path. And so that's what we're going to watch happen here. Verse 34, Peter gives his sermon now to these people, these Gentiles that Cornelius the Centurion has gathered. We're going to have a guest speaker. He's coming to our house. He's an important guy, Peter, you know, and he's got a message for you guys. So listen up, okay? And I love that. It first says, verse 34, or yeah, verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth, <laughs> right? That seems almost like well, yeah, we know Peter opens his mouth. The next thing we know, he's going to put his sandal in it, right? Just like how we always do that. But, but that's not what's going to happen here. But I will say this, and just I could make a whole sermon out of that. And Peter opened his mouth, right? But one thing we have to know is as God has commissioned us to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always to the end of the age, as we've been commanded to go out and preach the good news. It doesn't happen if you don't open your mouth. Now, there's a, there's a, um, a saying, it's attributed to St. Augustine, Nobody really knows for sure who said it, right? And you can go online and get all kinds of controversy. But it goes something like this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and, when necessary, open your mouth. The idea being that we should be a living epistle, a, a walking, talking Bible, an evangelist in our lifestyle, in our actions, our deeds, that people should see Christ in us before we even open our mouth. And I love that, and I think there, it's a valid thing to say, but I will say, I'll open my mouth and say this, we've been commissioned to go into the world and make disciples, and that comes when you open your mouth. Now, many people are afraid to talk to people about Jesus. Many people are just afraid to talk to people, period uncomfortable. But if you have something so precious and so valuable that you want to share it with the world, 
filled with wonder, awe-struck wonder at the mention of His name. Jesus, your name is power, living water. Such a marvelous mystery. How can we contain that in these old wineskins? We have to open our mouth, right? And so, I would just encourage this. If the, I just said a whole sermon on one little piece of a verse. But as we have been commissioned to go, it comes with an open mouth, okay? Anyways, Peter opened his mouth, and if you don't know what to say, this is fantastic. Right here, verses 34 through 43, just read this, internalize it, own it, and share it. Peter is going to share the gospel. I don't know what to tell people when I talk to them about Jesus. Well, just read this, verse 34 through 43. You can remember it, right? Chapter 10, 34, 43. Turn the numbers around. I can remember that part. 10, 40, 34 through 43, and just look at it and learn it, and then just tell people this. Let's look, look what Peter says. Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Now, this is Peter writing. In, later in life, Peter would write in 2 Peter, in chapter 1 at verse 16, basically restating what we're seeing right here, Peter says of himself, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So Peter is just saying here, from the beginning in Galilee and the baptism, we watched, we saw it, we experienced it. Personally, it became something that we own, and now I'm just telling you what I know. And this is the power of your personal testimony. Do you know Jesus? Have you accepted Him as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that His death was sufficient on the cross to pay your debt? Do you believe that He has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit that you can, through His power, be witnesses to the world? Well, if you own that, then all you have to do is open up your mouth and tell people about your Jesus. That's what Peter is doing, and that's what we do. It's not rocket science. Yours won't sound like Peter's. You weren't in Galilee, right? You weren't there at the baptism. But were you at your baptism? I hope you were. Can you tell that story? Were you in church this Sunday? Uh, we can pray for a lot of people who can't be here this morning. The snow outside is giving us a little bit of a problem, right? But nevertheless, we know that we have our testimony, and Peter's giving his um, in verse, I'll say 37, that word that you know, right? He starts off in verse 36, the word which God sent to the children of Israel. That word 
W-R-D. The word word right here in verse 36 is logos. You might be familiar with the logos. We read about that in John's gospel. The very first words of John's gospel are, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men." Going on, John would say in verse, four, in verse 11, He came to His own, Jesus, born a Jew, came to the Jews. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But, and this is, plays right into what we're going to see this morning in chapter 10 of Acts, but as many as received Him, to Him He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. You, didn't, you don't inherit Jesus because your mommy and daddy were Christians. You can't work hard enough in the power of your flesh to become a Christian. You were born not of blood, not of the flesh, nor of the will of man. You can't just will it and it happens. You're born of God. You must be born again of His Holy Spirit. And so, this is that word that Peter's talking about in verse 36, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. Verse 37, that word you know. Now, in your English, you don't see this, but Luke, who wrote this, has switched words for word. Did you follow me on that? In verse 36, the word is logos. It is a concept. The word logos, it's like a logo, right? If you see the golden arches, what does that concept, what does that image represent? Anybody? McDonald's. McDonald's. What if you see a, a swish, or should I say a swoosh? Nike, or whatever. This is logos. It's a representation. It's a word that helps us understand, and in this case, it's God. The word was God. The Word is God. God is Logos. God is Jesus Christ. But here in verse 36, he changes the word for word. Now it goes to the, the word rhema. It's spelled R-H-E-M-A, rhema. And rhema is a different word that doesn't talk about this concept of God, this image of God, this idea of God. But he says, now you, that word you know, and that is the word rhema is a command. That's what that word means. This command you know. You know the word God, Jesus Christ, came to the Israelites. And you know what He said you should do. He's commanded you. The word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they also killed by hanging on a tree. 
Him God raised up on the third day and showed Him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with Him after He arose from the dead. This is the gospel, the good news. We hear about the gospel often as we talk in Christianity, and people, sometimes the gospel is doing good or being nice or acting godly. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. It's the message of what God did for us and that He so loved the world that He sent His Son to die on the cross, to be buried, and to rise again on the third day. A concise gospel message can be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul writing says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. He received the gospel, the good news, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Just like God said in His Word, it happened, it's verifiable, Christ died for our sins in our place, a substitutionary atonement, propitiation for all that we've done so that we can be set free. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the gospel, that's it, simply. And that's what we have to share with the world. Now, some people may say, that doesn't seem like it's very powerful. It doesn't seem like it's got the punch that I need to bring my non-believing friend to Christ. And yet we read throughout the Scriptures that it is the power of God unto salvation. And I know for you, this is what your faith is based on. You come to that point, you come to that foot of the cross on Calvary 2,000 years ago, and you have to stand there and answer for yourself in your heart, what did God just do? All of human history talks about it. Thousands of years later, we're still gathering in churches, worshiping and celebrating our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and it comes down to that point that God, according to the Scriptures, sent His Son in place of, to die in place of me, buried and rose again as proof and evidence. And that's really what Peter's telling. I saw it. Paul writes that. I saw it. I'm passing it on to you. And then he was appeared before many witnesses, and we've read all about that. Verse 42, and He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is He who ordained by God to be judged of the living and the dead. So there's some accountability here. Not only did He die and rise again so that you and I can rise eternally in heaven to be with Him, but we're also given a mandate, a commandment that we are to go and preach Jesus. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is He who ordained God to be judge of the living and the dead. There does come a point of accountability. We read in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, that it's appointed for man once 
to die, and then comes the judgment. Yes, there is a judgment. There is eternal life, and there is heaven, and there is hell. And we have an opportunity this very moment. If you haven't made peace with God, and you don't know if you're going to be in heaven or in hell, it's as simple as acknowledging what God has already done for you. Nothing you can do for yourself, but that He's already completed the work on the cross. He would say, it is finished. It's done. Everything I came to do to save mankind from their sins is complete. If they'll just place their faith in me, put their trust in me, if they'll just believe in me, believe in this truth of this gospel, that's all it takes to be saved. And we are then born again. And this is what we need to preach but, and, 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 and receive ourselves. Um, there is a heaven, there is a hell. Do you believe that? Sure. And given that there is a heaven and there is a hell, have you made your reservation? Because you're going to be there someday, and I would just make sure that you do. Go to God and say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I fall short of your glory, but by the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, my debt has been paid. I, I, I beg mercy on the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you've done in my place. And God will look upon you and smile on you and say, come on in. You're my child. It's a beautiful thing. So I would pray that you, you do that. You know, I could do a sinner's prayer right now, and I would say, now you repeat after me what I just said. But you can do that in your heart, on your own. Can you do that? Can you help other people do that? It's really simple. Just say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. You can tell your friends, Lord, say it, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for being that Savior and finishing the work of making me a child, cleaning me up and making me ready for heaven. Thank you. If you've done that, you're born again. You're saved. You've made your reservation. Now in eternity, you have decided where you're going to spend it, smoking or non-smoking, right? That's all Peter is doing. He's coming to these Gentiles, these, these, these foreigners, these non-Jews. He's going into their house. He's preaching to them. He's telling them there's a choice you have to make. It's heaven or hell. Jesus Christ has opened the door to heaven. Do you want to go in? And he preaches that. There's going to be a judgment. Are you guys ready? Verse 43, it says, to him... To God, all the prophets witness that through His name, whoever believes in Him will receive remission of sins. This is good news. This is great news. That's why it's called, well, that's what the gospel is. Evangelium in Greek is good news. This is great news. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and on. He writes, the Word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith, which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation." 
For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. Whoever, sons of Shem, sons of Ham, sons of Japheth, anybody in the human race. Are you part of the human race? Then this is for you. Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. This is why we gather. This is why we worship God. This is why we preach God. This is why we share Him with the world, that they can have what we have, the joy of our salvation, the hope of heaven in the midst of a world that is sin-soaked and dying, and we look around us and we see day by day by day just terrible things happening, we see the light. You know, I was, I was up in uh, Caldwell at a gathering of pastors up there having lunch, and the pastor at the church that I was at brought forward a little bit of a encouragement to the pastors. But along the way of the encouragement, he says, here's some numbers. Since 2020, average attendance in churches in 2020, from the mega churches to the little bitty churches, the average was 139 people. Since then, the average attendance in 2003 is 64 people. That's discouraging if you're trying to share the good news and gather uh, people to go to heaven with you, right? And yet, I, I looked at myself and I'm like, man, our church is growing. We're, we're not shrinking. We're, we're bigger. If you go from 2020 to 2023, we're a lot bigger than we used to be. Then he brought out some other statistics. He says, for the first time in history in America, the leading cause of death is no longer automobile fatalities or gun death or cancer. The number one cause of death for 2023, reigning champion, fentanyl. That's sad. That's very, very sad. That's not good news. That's bad news. And now moving up into second place for the number one cause of death in America, suicide. And the world is changing. It's getting darker. It's getting sicker. Hope is evaporated. We've taken God out of our culture, out of our schools, out of our institutions. And as we're teaching in the book of Judges on Wednesday night, without God, everybody does what is right in their own eyes. And things just become darker and darker and darker as we fall farther and farther away from God. And that's a downer, isn't it? I mean, here you are on Sunday morning, I came to church, and man, that guy just bummed me out. But God, but God, do you know that in 2023, just a really quick survey of Gen X will easily show you 100,000 
Gen X that have become radically born again. Revival is breaking out. Passion crusades, all the different uh, moves of the Holy Spirit on the college campuses around America. And, and in the darkness, the light is shining. And, and there are people coming to God by the boatloads. Right? Amen. And this is the good news. The good news is, though the world is going south, we've got a ticket up. His name is Jesus. And you can share that. You can, you can give that away like we did at the candlelight service, right? Uh, we lit candles and we passed them around. You know, and, and there's a kind of a cute saying, but it's valid. A candle loses nothing by giving its light to another. But if you've got the light, let the light shine, right? That people would glorify God. So this is the good news. To him, all the prophets witnessed, prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. Well, that group of people at Cornelius' house was listening. They, they were paying attention. And I love this. It says, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, while he's trying to share with them Jesus, oh, you, you had me come all the way from Joppa up here. I'm here. There's the crowd. He opens his mouth. He starts talking. This is what I know. This is what I've seen. This is what I experienced. This is my testimony of Jesus Christ. And he goes on blah, 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 blah. And it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fall on all those who heard the word. This is so cool. You know, it's something, it's funny with Peter, we make fun of him, right? Because he's often going, you know, ready, fire, aim, Peter, right? Not, not necessarily, just opening his mouth, sticking his foot in all the time. And remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he went up with Jesus onto the mountain, and he was there with James and John, and as they wake up, there's Jesus, and, and it's Moses and Elijah, and they're just, they're shining, they're glorious, and they're discussing Jesus' departure, his exodus as he's going back to heaven, and Moses and Elijah are talking about this, and Peter wakes up and he goes, wow, this is awesome, this is great, God, this is so good, we just should preserve this, Let's, we'll make tents for each of you and stay here. And while Peter was speaking, a voice came from heaven, and this is Mike's commentary, zip it, Pete, but while he was talking, a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son, hear him, listen to him. And Peter gets interrupted by God, by the Holy Spirit, and here it happens again. He's speaking to the Gentiles, and right in the middle of his sermon, people are starting to get saved. And he's just going on, and the Holy Spirit fell on all who were hearing the word. Verse 45, and those of the circumcision, that is the Jews, if you remember when Peter went up with Cornelius's friend, he brought a bunch of his friends. He brought a bunch of the circumcision. That's one of the signs of being a Jew. And so he brought Jews with him. I'm not going to go to a Gentile's house all by myself. I'm going to make sure I got some friends with me. So he brings friends with him. They're there. They're witnessing this same thing. And it says, all those of the circumcision who believed that are Christians, completed Jews or Messianic Jews, Jews who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah, full-blown Christian, right? 
They're of the circumcision. They believed. They were astonished beside themselves. Just, just gobsmacked. What on earth? The Holy Spirit falling on the Gentiles? Are you kidding me? They were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Wow. There we go. And that's why you and I are here today, to this very day. The door was open to Gentiles, and over the last 2,000 years, it's come to us, non-Jews, right? And uh, so this is a beautiful thing. The gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the Gentiles also. Just a little bit of, this is fun to play with, but I opened up, I said, I referenced Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You do realize that these people right here that are seeing the Holy Spirit fall upon the Gentiles, they didn't actually have the book of Acts to read. They were the book of Acts. They didn't have it to read. It hadn't been written yet. They were living it real time, right? So they couldn't go back to chapter 1, verse 8, where the promise of the Father will be given to you, and you will receive power to be my witnesses. But they were there and heard it. At least Peter was, for certain, he heard Jesus say, this is what's going to happen. You are going to receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses, and when you do, the gospel is going to go to the very ends of the earth. He's already been told that. Do you know that you've already been told that? I told you this morning already, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And, and, and we know what's going to happen when you open your mouth and share your Jesus. Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Sometimes they'll just, meh, walk away. Sometimes they'll become violent and argue. More often than not, they'll stop and they'll think, hmm, hmm, what am I going to do with this? but you've got to open your mouth and preach it. And Peter knew, Jesus told them, you will receive power and you will be witnesses to the ends of the world, to the Gentiles. So here it's happening, just like Jesus said it was, but they're astonished. What, what, what happened? And it's funny, it happens to us all the time. Probably we could, have, we could stop right now and just go around the room and say, tell me stories about what Jesus did in your life this week. And how often your story would be something like, I was just walking along, minding my own business, I wasn't even thinking, and then God showed up. And yet, you should know God's going to show up. You do know God is walking with you. Lo, He is with you always, like now, like 10 minutes now, like tomorrow. He's always with you, and it shouldn't surprise you that He wants you to open your mouth and tell people about Him. But if you don't, often he'll set it up that you do <laughs> just because of the way that he loves to just remind us how much he loves us. So, verse 46, for they, uh, verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, and then Peter answered. I just want to stop on this. They were amazed. They saw the Holy Spirit fall on them. They would understand what that looks like what that sounds like, because they were there back in chapter 2. 
even though they didn't have the book of Acts, they were there back in chapter 2 at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they saw what happened. People began speaking in other tongues, different dialects, different languages, ones that they didn't know, they weren't familiar with. It's not something they had been trained with. But out of their mouth came just words glorifying God, praising God. And people in other languages were like, wow, I understand what you're saying. You're talking to God and telling Him how amazing you are, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And everybody just joined in the chorus and were like, wow, all these different nations are understanding us. Now it's happening again. This time the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit and they're able to praise God in a language they're not familiar with. In this case, what's so cool is now they're praising God in Aramaic, the common language of the Jews of those days. And the Jews who went to witness this, this speech of Peter's, you know, backup or whatever, his security guards, I don't know, the bouncers, they're all like, whoa, they're speaking the wonders of God in our language. How did these guys learn that? Again, it's a sign. In 1 Corinthians, in chapters 12, 13 and 14, and especially 14, we hear about this gift, this sign gift of speaking in an unknown tongue. In it, there's a lot of things that Paul would have us to understand about speaking in tongues. But a couple things I just want to touch on. For starters, he says that all other gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the profit, for the edification, for the building up of the church. The gift of tongues is for the person who's speaking it. It builds you up. It doesn't build other people up because they don't even have any idea what you're talking about. But out of your heart, you're worshiping and praising God, and you draw close to God in that worship. He also says, I would rather you speak five words in an own language than 10,000 words in an unknown language, in a tongue, because at least if I speak sense to you, if I prophesy, if I say the Word of God to you, we know that will accomplish that which God sent it forth. It won't return void. So, preach the Word. But in all of that, we see that tongues are a sign, we read in 1 Corinthians 14, to the non-believer, to those people outside of the church, that when they hear you praising God in their language, it draws them to God. It attracts them to God. You let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works, and I could say good words, and glorify your God in heaven. It draws them back to God. These, this gift of speaking in the tongues, every time we see it in the Scripture, it's always described as worship in God, glorifying God, our heart being lifted up to His presence. Never is it something where God is speaking through me, thus says the Lord, you ought to do this or that or those kinds of things. That's not how it works. It's just an opportunity. It's, a, it's something, that, a tool that the Lord has given believers that they would able, be able to express with unexpressible words. We read in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit gives voice to those things. We don't have any way to express ourselves. Nevertheless, it's real, it's valid, it's here today, just as the Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Jesus is, as God the Father is, and His presence and His activities are active in the world today. And Paul would teach us 
that not all are apostles, not all have the gift of miracle, miracles or the gift of healing or the gift of tongues, but earnestly desire the better gifts. Let I show you a more excellent way that we should love one another. Even though I speak with tongues of men or even angels, but I have not love, I'm just a sounding brass, a clanging gong. It, it, I make no sense and I have no profit whatsoever. The greatest heart in all of this is that we would seek after love, the love of God, that I would know how much He loves me. I could tell Him how much I love Him, and I could tell the world how much He loves Him. So if you put love front and center, just as Peter did in going to these people and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, they received that gift, and, and, and all those who came along were like, wow, that's what happened to us too. Have you ever had that experience? I know a lot of you have, but I just say this because some of you may not have had that experience of sharing Jesus with somebody and somebody saying, I want that. I want what you got. I'm so tired of just running in circles. I'm so tired of looking at the news. I'm so tired of seeing all the statistics of the world just sick with sin. I want to know what you know. I want to have the joy that you have. I want to have the hope that you have. I want to have the peace that you have. That's easy. Just believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead your Lord and Savior. Confess that with your mouth, you'll have it. And you share it to them, and then they receive. And the joy of seeing somebody else accept Jesus Christ in so many ways is better than the joy of when you received it yourself. It's just absolutely mind-boggling because when you receive Jesus as your Lord, I mean, this is, this is good stuff, but I would say for most people, it comes at a moment of crises, or just confession, total humiliation where you've just, you've, you recognize, man, there's nothing good in me. I have nothing to give you, God. I just need you. Would you please just hear my prayer? And he does. And, you, and, and, and your life is changed. And you, you start glorifying him with your words and your deeds and your activities, and, and your life changes, and you're on a new trajectory now. You're no longer headed for the smoking section. You're on your way up, right? And things are good, and you're so excited. But then when you share that with somebody else, and they jump on the elevator with you, all of a sudden, you see that validation of what you've done in their lives, and you experience that, and it's like, whoa, this is, this is crazy good. This is insane. I love that about so many of our ministries here, our redemption ministries, um, the children's ministry. As we go out and share these things, it's infectious. It's contagious. You can't be around people that are on fire for the Lord and not just enjoy that and then see that and come alongside with that. And so this is what's happening. They're, they're born again. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we do see through the Scriptures that this blessing of the Holy Spirit comes to every single person who has ever confessed Jesus. If you believe in your heart, that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. You do receive the Holy Spirit. He takes up residence in your heart. And yet there is more that He wants to do. We, we call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit because of the words where God comes alongside you. His Holy Spirit witnesses to you. Para in the Greek, P-A-R-A, -A, para. He comes alongside you. But then when you confess Him as Lord, He comes 
in you. E-N is the Greek word for coming in or in you. So the Holy Spirit's alongside you, wooing you towards Him. Then when you confess Him, He comes in you. But there's also a place where the Holy Spirit is poured out on you, overflowing you, soaking you, immersing you, giving you power to be His witness. That's the word epi, E-P-I. And it's the word for just covered in the Holy Spirit. And this is what happened here. Sometimes that happens right away. You confess Jesus Christ, and man, the Holy Spirit's just overflowing you, and you're going out and telling all your friends, and they're like, wow, this is great. I want some of that. And, you know, it goes on. Others, it's in a more quiet, more subtle way. But God has given us His Holy Spirit that we can be effective witnesses for Him. In fact, Without the Holy Spirit, it would really not only be impossible to be a Christian, but your witness would be so dry and so stale. And so a lot of people are like, I'm trying so hard to be a good Christian. I'm trying so hard to do the things God wants me to do. I'm trying so God to share with my friends, but nothing happens. I would encourage you to pray that God might bless you with an outpouring of His Holy Spirit. He gave this, Jesus gave this illustration to His disciples of a person who went to his neighbor's house and needed a loaf of bread, and the guy says, I'm asleep, the door's locked, go away. But he came back and he kept knocking on the door, and Jesus said, just because you pestered him so much, you wouldn't kit, quit. He finally got up and gave you the bread, right? And then he would teach us this. You need to ask, seek, and knock, and the door will be opened unto you. And in the original language, it's the word ask and don't stop asking and keep on asking. But it's hard to put all that in a little word like ask. But that's what it means. Ask and don't stop. Ask, ask, pray, 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 pray. Don't stop. Keep going. Pray, pray, pray. Seek, seek. I need you, God. I need your help. I need your power. I need your Holy Spirit. I need your anointing. I need to break through. I love these people. I love them that I'm witnessing to, and I don't seem to be effective. I need your help. Seek, 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 and knock, and don't stop knocking. God, I am not going to quit until you answer my prayer. And Jesus would say to him, which of you being evil, which is to say you're not holy, you're not all that good, but which of you being evil, if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, would you give him a rock? Or if he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Or if he asked a fish, would you give him a serpent? And even evil people are like, no, I wouldn't do that. That's not what you do for your children. And then Jesus would say, so likewise, even so, your Father in heaven wants to give you His Holy Spirit. But you need to ask, seek, knock, don't quit. Keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. I need help. I, need, I want to share Jesus with the world. I can't do it on my own. And God says, that's a brilliant observation. You're right, you can't. Apart from the vine, you can do nothing. But as you're tied into the vine, you can do all things in Christ. And so, 
the heart of that is don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. It's given to help you, to help you live a successful, victorious Christian life. It's given to share that life with others, and it's given so that you can worship God in a way that just really starts like from your toenails and just comes out. And God wants to do these things for you. He even says, ask for it. So right now, I'm going to just ask that we ask. Father God, we recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. But we also recognize that you've given us a promise. And your promises are yes and amen. And you have promised that you would give us the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. And we want that, Lord. We desire that. We want every good and perfect gift that you would rain down upon us, that we could be used by you to help others see what we see, to know what we know, to experience the joy of being saved. So, Lord Jesus, right now, not expecting that there would be any special signs, but just knowing your word is true. We ask for your Holy Spirit and we receive it, knowing that your word is good. And we thank you now for giving us your Holy Spirit and pray that you would encourage us to step out in faith and open our mouth in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's see, who was doing? Oh, Gary, worship crew, come on up. <laughs> For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Is there any reason why these people who have accepted Jesus Christ just like we did, that they can't be baptized. Now, baptized was basically a ritual. It was a ceremony. It was an opportunity to go out and make a public display that you have given your heart to God, that Jesus has taken up residence in your life, that He is your Lord, and that you believe you're going to heaven just like He did. And baptism is a way to go out and show that to the world. That's how it was done in those days. And it's still done today. As a new believer, one of the first things we encourage you to do is get baptized. If you have not been baptized, uh, I, can, I can say I, I took a while before I got baptized, five years after I believed, because I didn't want to just jump through the hoops and be a cutesy Christian and wear my crucifix and have my bumper sticker and pretend I'm a Christian. I had pretended I was a Christian for a long time. I was done with that. I wanted it to be real. But the day I did submit to being baptized, my world changed again. Not that I wasn't already born again. That happened five years ago. But all of a sudden, I obeyed. I took that step of faith and said, if God has told us to do this, then I'll do it. What did God say? Jesus himself. Go into all the world and, anybody know? Baptize them. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, they baptize them just like Philip did the Ethiopian eunuch and just like we do to this day. 
Verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay a few days. Amen. This is great. Let's hang out. We're going to pick up now on verse, in chapter 11 next week when we come back together. Um, I would pray that this week, just in your heart, in that, with that still small voice, with that, that door that God has made open, that you can talk to God, that you would ask Him, Lord, search me. Know me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Purge me. Cleanse me with hyssop. Make me new. Wash me white as snow. Help me, Lord, to enjoy you and enjoy sharing you that we could come together next week and you can say, guess what happened to me? <laughs> guess what Jesus did? Jesus showed up. I know we're going to go to coffee right now, coffee, cookies, fellowship, and this is a wonderful time to get together and just share the things that Jesus is doing in your life. Every one of them, a testimony, just like Peter opened his mouth and shared. And when you open up, wonderful things happen. So I just encourage you in all of that. Uh, be safe, please, out on the roads um, until we come together again. Uh, just go in the peace of God and the power of His Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Habern, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.